Father, we come this morning to worship you, to praise you, because you are in fact worthy of our worship and worthy of our praise. Father, we come today with confidence uh, that you are able to accept our worship because of Christ. Because he has ascended to your right hand and is interceding for us now. We thank you for our great high priest, Jesus. Father, we come here and we praise you for your grace. We praise you for your mercy. We praise you for your kindness. Uh, We praise you for the wonderful fact of sonship because of your perfect son. Will you this morning open our eyes and open our hearts to understand your word and to receive your word? Would you be with my mouth as I bring forward the words and as I preach through Acts? Would you, by the power of your spirit, have us cast all of our anxieties, all of our doubts, and all of our fears on Jesus? Jesus, we thank you for willingly taking that burden for us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, like I said, good morning, church family. It is really good to be here with y'all today on this Lord's Day, as it is every Lord's Day. It's very good to come and to fellowship with y'all and have great conversations, but also to sing praises to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and to confess sin with you and to uh, be declared righteous because of the work of Christ uh, on our behalf. And so it is so good to be here with you this morning. Uh, I am really looking forward uh, to jump into the book of Acts. The conversation has been between me, Denton, and Aaron. Uh, we went fast through Hebrews, and we went fast through Luke, it felt like. And so for the next nine years, we're going to be in... I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking. However long the Lord will have us in the book of Acts uh, is how long He will have us. And so we are, we are very excited to be in this book and uh, to see the riches of God's grace that He has for us in this book as well. Um, so I'm excited to be preaching. Like I said, I don't do this often, but I always love the opportunity to and just love to bring God's word. It's a blessing to me through the week as I study, and I pray that it's a blessing to y'all as I bring forward the word. Um, so this is only our um, second sermon in the book of Acts. So if you've not been here for the first one, you are not far behind. Uh, Aaron preached last week. He opened us up in the book of Acts, and we preached uh, verses 1 through, through verse 5, and today we are going to be preaching verses 6 through 9. I made it really difficult for the next person because I stopped kind of in a midway point, but they'll figure it out. Uh, so, like I said, this is our second sermon. Uh, we were preaching through 1 through 5, that's what Aaron did, and we got to see the close relationship that the book of Acts and that the book of Luke have with one another because we got to see that the author is in fact the same author. First and foremost, the author is the Holy Spirit of God, but the person with the pen is Luke himself, uh, and he writes these books, but he also writes them to the same recipient, uh, being that of Theophilus and also the church today, uh, as we are here now in the book of Acts. Um, So, we see, uh, or we saw last week that Jesus came back, walked with, talked with, lived with the disciples for 40 days. 
after he presented himself alive, after he presented himself resurrected from the dead. And the main topic that he spoke on and taught on was the kingdom of heaven. The book of Luke, as we saw, was the account of the ministry of Christ as he was here in the flesh. And the book of Acts is an account of the Holy Spirit's ministry of Christ in spirit through the apostles and through the disciples. Today, we will be looking at verses 6 through 9. And right before this section, Jesus orders the disciples not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. So what was that promise? And as we saw last week, the promise was in verse 5. And in verse 5, it says that they would be baptized by the Holy Spirit in a short, in a short bit, in a few days, a couple days. And this wasn't a new teaching or a new thing. It was not a new thing that Christ proclaimed to his disciples because as we see in the book of John chapter 16, which I'll be referencing that quite a bit as we work through our section that we're in today. But John chapter 16 verse 7 says, uh, it says, John says that Jesus has told his disciples that he would leave so that the helper would come. And he doesn't just simply say it like that. He, he says it's actually to their advantage that he leave so that the helper may come. And as we know from Aaron's sermon last week, if you were here, and what we will see a little this week is, in fact, a wonderful thing because we are now equipped with the power of God by the Holy Spirit. We're equipped with the power of God by the Holy Spirit to carry on the earthly ministry of Christ. So today we're picking up in verse 6, but I want to start our reading in verse 4. So if you have your Bible with you, if you have your phone with you that has a Bible on it, or we have it on the screen, uh, flip that open to... uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 4, we're going to be reading verses 4 through 9. If you don't have a Bible, um, there's probably one in the pew, or, there's, or we have one for you. Um, we want to get the Word of God in anybody's hands that doesn't have that, and so please consider that a gift from us to you. Uh, and if there's not one in the pew, get with me afterwards. We will get you a Bible. Uh, so, Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 4. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witness in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When He had said these things, as they were looking on, He was lifted up, and a cloud took Him out of their sight. 
As we see here, Jesus has proclaimed to the disciples what he has already proclaimed to them in the gospel account of John. Like I said, we were going to refer to this. John chapter 16, verse 7 says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And we see here in verses 4 through 5, Do not depart from Jerusalem. But wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then it goes on to verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And this is right after. They asked this question. Right after Jesus says to them that they will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And I think if you're anything like me, when, when you read this, uh, I think that I might have been reading this being overly critical of the disciples. And, and to their question of how they respond to Jesus in verse 6. I think for the most part, we read verse 6 and we think, seriously? Like, guys, like, did, did, y'all, did y'all miss this? Did, are you not getting this? Where were you the past 40 days as Jesus walked with you and taught with you the kingdom of heaven? And we think of this question like we think of a lot of the statements that Peter makes in the Gospels. His his statements of potentially pride-filled, arrogant, or just plain ignorant of what Jesus was doing. And what he had to fulfill and what he had to accomplish was constantly inserting foot into mouth. That was Peter. But I want us to consider that maybe the question was not asked in this way. By the way, you can 100% disagree with me on this, and that is, I'm good with that. That is perfectly fine. Let's look at verse 6. It says, so when, the, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And as we know, they're thinking of this earthly kingdom in Israel. And this is right after, like I said, Jesus says to them, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And I know that my response to this question as I've expressed to y'all from the disciples has often been, well, you missed it again. Uh, you once again did not understand the teachings that Jesus was trying to communicate to y'all and his ministry to y'all. Uh, to which I would also say that we oftentimes miss it. We oftentimes uh, don't correctly interpret uh, what God is communicating to us in his word. So we should be careful just a slight warning. We should be careful with this and be aware of our tendency to be prideful when reading and considering the characters in the New Testament and in the Old Testament. Because here's potentially how the disciples are thinking. They might be thinking, finally, restoration to Israel. Finally, restoration in Jerusalem. So let's look at a few things and see why the disciples thought that this was a good question potentially in the first place. We're only going to do a few passages. Ezekiel 39, 25. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Now I will restore the fortunes of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel, and I will be jealous for my holy name. 
And then it skips down to verse 29, and I will not hide my face anymore from them when I pour out my spirit upon the house of Israel, declares the Lord God. Lord God. So if you were a Jew and you knew your Old Testament, uh, and the long-awaited Messiah had just died, the long-awaited Messiah had just rose from the dead, was with you for 40 days, proclaiming the kingdom of heaven, and then he says to you, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit here in a few days or weeks, how would you potentially think? It's a fair thought, it seems. And not only that, but during the Lord's Supper in Luke 22, it, it says, And I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. I honestly think that it was a fair thing for them to think, Awesome. The kingdom of Israel is about to be restored. The promise is about to be fulfilled in this way. We will now have thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel, and there will be restoration that happens in Israel. They're wrong, obviously. I just wanted to paint a picture maybe of where their heart was at in that. But look how Jesus responds to them in, to their question. It is a gentle rebuke, but it's that. It's a gentle rebuke. He says in verse 7, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority. He looked at His disciples with love, with care, and with gentleness and understanding, He responds to them in a tender way as He had for all of His earthly ministry. He responds by saying, Yes, but not when you think. Not in that time frame. Not now. Not in the next couple weeks. Not in the next month. Not in the next couple years. Yes, the Holy Spirit will be poured out. Yes, there will be restoration of the kingdom. But the timing is not for the disciples to know, nor is it for us to know. The Holy Spirit is coming. The kingdom is coming. The consummation is coming. As we're going to see in verse 8, power is Coming, but it is not for you to know, but it is a time that is sure and definite, and we can trust that it is so because the Father has fixed it, as Jesus said. So he does give them a gentle rebuke, which is often needed in our lives, I would argue as well. Because here's the thing, too this wasn't a new teaching, this wasn't something new, like I said, that Jesus has brought to the table. Uh, if you recall Matthew 24, verse 36, it says, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. And I think that we can stretch this to, to other things in our lives. We are not to know the, when we will die. We are not to know when our family members will die. We're not to know the time of the rising and falling of nations. We're not to know the hearts of people that surround us. Now, believe it is made this way because God in His infinite wisdom believes it to be the best thing for us. And I do believe that if we did know these things, they would serve as a distraction from what God has actually called us to. I believe that it would potentially create anxieties, distrust, disbelief, and even potentially a 
completely joyless life. I mean, imagine knowing that you have nothing but heartache coming up and you know, and you know the day, you know the time, you know the hour. So God in his loving kindness has kept these things from us. He has kept this knowledge from us. So we go to verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And you will be my witnesses. Jesus is saying, you got this right, not the time, but now don't worry about the timing and go be a witness to the things starting in Jerusalem and then be a witness to the end of the earth. And how will they do this? How will we do this? If left to our abilities, we would fail miserably. I have absolutely no confidence in man's ability to glorify God of his own power. We would move forward, build entire ministries in the name of Christ while looking to profit self. We would quickly swerve from the word of God as being sufficient and rely on our own techniques and rely on our own abilities and our own power, which as we see now, many unfortunately have done this. We would do great things all in the name of Christ while slandering his name and glorifying self instead of God. I have absolutely, like I said, no confidence in man's ability to witness in a God-glorifying way without the power of God at work in him. But we see that Christ has said by the power of God himself, by the power of God indwelling in the believer that works in and through them. <coughs> to make them a witness to those around them and to those who God has called them to. Making them a witness to the grace of God in Jesus Christ. To make them a witness of the goodness of the gospel that saves sinners. To make God's people a witness to what it means to love God and love neighbor. Christian, in, in here today, you have the power of God in you, and it is the power of God that has saved you. It was not works of man or eloquent, eloquent speech or perfect sermons or, or you, you can name it. It was not the works of that but it was the power of the Spirit and the word of truth that drew you to himself. So here's the thing. You, you don't need to have all of the answers to everyone's questions. Some of you in here know that you struggle with making a case for certain topics of Christianity or even tripping up in your words or not being able to properly express yourself the, the way you know you believe. You, don't, you just find yourself not having the ability to do that to your co-workers, to your family members, and to the world around you. But read this. You have received what the disciples were waiting to receive, the power of the Holy Spirit to be a witness for Christ. So, 
What I'm not saying, and what I am saying too, I would, I would argue do this if you are able to, but what I'm not saying is that you need to be able to go witness to those around you providing five historical facts of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm not saying you need to do that. I'm not saying that you need to be able to clearly communicate the covenant of works or the covenant of grace. You don't need to be able to clearly communicate uh, words like penal substitution or imputed righteousness. All those, those are great things. And I would say, study those things. Dig into those things. They would be good for you. They would be good for your soul. And try to articulate those things because those are wonderful truths that God has for us in his word. But what I am telling you is that you have been given the power of God by his Holy Spirit to love God and to love neighbor. And so do that and be a witness of his goodness and of his grace. All who have placed their faith in Christ have the ability to do this because you have been equipped to do this. If you can't tell, I'm driving that home. You as a Christian today, if you are in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit of God and you are perfectly able to witness of the goodness of God and the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And I do say all this too with uh, 1 Peter 3.15 in mind, which says, But in your hearts honor Christ, the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. If you are a Christian, you know the gospel. If you are a Christian, you know the gospel, even if it is at a basic level, even the simplest testimonies, like what we sang this morning in Son of David as the blind man who received sight, who said, I once was blind, but now I see. That's simple. Jesus did this. It really can be that simple as you witness to your family, as you witness to your co-workers, as you witness to the world around you. So let's move on to the last verse in verse 9. And verse 9 reads, And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. So I've already said this at the very beginning, uh, but I really want to make an emphasis on it. The event that we have just read about is one of the most significant events in human history, and more specifically for the Christian For the Christians then and the Christians now. As a church and ultimately as a group of Christians here at Redeemer Fellowship, we would identify ourselves as Protestant evangelical. That is very simply put. I could put like a lot more titles on there, but just to not draw away from the point that I want to make though, I figured I would keep it simple. I preface this because I preface with this because we have three main things that we celebrate on our Christian calendar every year. And I would argue that we should probably add a fourth. We celebrate every year the birth of Christ. As you can obviously see, we are in that season now. Where we celebrate the fact that God humbled himself to take on human flesh, to come and live with man and walk with man and Live a sinless life, as we talked about in the book of Luke, ministering, proclaiming the kingdom of heaven. This is the time of year where we celebrate the birth of our Savior, Jesus. We also celebrate the death of Christ. That as much as Jesus came and lived this life, he also died the death that we deserved, that all of mankind deserved. 
That he died the death as one who was completely innocent? That he took the wrath of God, that he bore our sins and iniquities on the cross so that by faith in him, his work, in his work, we could be counted as righteous. That we would bring our sin to him and he would freely take it and then he would freely give to us the righteousness that he himself has accomplished for us. The third thing is we celebrate the resurrection of Christ every year, which is what we call Easter. Where we celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ did, in fact, historically, raise from the dead, sealing salvation for the saints of God. We celebrate that Jesus did, in fact, conquer Satan, sin, and death by raising from the dead, showing the world that none of these things would have a hold on him as well as communicating to the Christian uh, that by faith in him, those would not have a hold on us either. That by faith in him and as sons of the Most High, Satan and no other power has dominion or rule over us. That sin, although it plagues our bodies, plagues our minds, plagues our hearts, We are no longer held captive or no longer slaves to its desires, and our sin will not be held against us. And that death would have no hold on us, and that we will, in fact, receive a new body. That we will not be plagued by the sinful flesh that we have in this world. We will be restored, and that we will, with whole heart, mind, body, and soul, be able to lift constant praise and worship to the King of Kings, with all the other saints from all other nations. And as you can tell, if you listen to this list, those are really, really, really good things. Very good things. And don't stop proclaiming those things. That's not what I'm saying. But today, I want us to understand what actually took place the time that Jesus ascended into heaven. When Jesus ascended into heaven, he took his rightful throne at the right hand of the majesty on high. He sat down as Lord of Lords and as King of Kings. He sat down as the cosmic ruler of the universe. And not only that, but he sat down as our great high priest and as our intercessor to God the Father, as our mediator, where he now intercedes on our behalf Daily, where he gives prayers for his bride to God the Father. We sang this morning, Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. That is true of the Christian because of the ascension of Jesus Christ. In Ephesians, Paul says that God raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come, which is an awesome truth, but that is not where Paul stops whenever he's talking about the ascension. If you go to chapter 2, he carries on and he says that as a result of Christ being raised and seated at God's right hand, it is now true that if you are united to Christ by faith, you too are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. If you recall in the Old Testament, the Day of Atonement, and on that day, once a year, a specific person 
was allowed into the Holy of Holies to come before God's holy presence. So it was a specific priest who offered a specific sacrifice. That was how they had communion with God once a year. But now, because of the ascension of Jesus, our great high priest, Jesus Christ, has taken us with him into the Holy of Holies to be with him forever. For eternity with him in the presence of God on high. So as much as the good news is about the fact that we as believers have received forgiveness of sins and the gifts of righteousness, the gift of adoption, the gift of sonship, and the list goes on and on, all the benefits that we have in Christ, we have also received the right to be in the presence of our most holy God. Wow. The reason why that blows my mind is because if you read the Old Testament, I like the Old Testament a lot. Um, but if you read the Old Testament, there's several instances where the holiness of God is displayed, uh, and it's a quite terrifying thing. I think of the story of Uzzah, who was walking alongside the Ark of the Covenant. The ox stumbles. The Ark begins to fall. Uzzah goes to stop it. Kills him. Instantly. God struck him dead because he was in direct violation of the divine law of God. God had instructed for the ark to be carried by specific people and in a specific way, and that commandment was ignored. And God demonstrated that day just how serious he was about his own holiness. God is the same God in the Old Testament as he is in the New Testament. It's the same God. He is the same perfect holy God, but Jesus has fulfilled the law and all the standards in it. He has fulfilled them for us and at his ascension has granted us access with him into the holy of holies. This is true for the believer now. This is a present reality. This is going to be a little abrupt, but just bear with me. Um, I feel like at times we miss this. Like, it's, like, like there's some sort of disconnect. Because I, I know that I have thought this before, and I know that I've heard other people say this. Um, how many times have we thought or even heard others say that they wish they could have been with the apostles and seen the work of Christ? And it's almost like this idea of, like, if I could have just been there, if I could have just seen the miracles, if I could have just seen the people raised from the dead, if I could have just seen the blind see, the leopards healed, seen him teach, if I could have just beheld the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, if I could have just been there. And, and it kind of goes into almost like their thought is that if I could have done these things, my zeal for the Lord would be great. And thinking like this paints this picture that the times that we live in now are subpar. This isn't exactly the same, but I think we even do this with the 16th century and the Reformation. I think we do this with the Puritans at times. These are great things. I love these things. 
But it reminds me of this phrase, too, that I hear and that I've grown more and more to hate. Uh, And it's the phrase of if it could just be like the good old days. And I believe in this, that we demonstrate we do not believe the words of Jesus when he says it is to your advantage that I go away. So as Jesus is pronouncing to them uh, that I must go away, imagine with me the disciples and just how troubling this would be for them. The ascension of Christ. Imagine how troubling that would possibly be for them because this was their friend. This was their rabbi. This was the person that they lived with. This was the person that, uh, that he, they walked with, that they loved dearly and deeply, and that they were also loved by him. Dearly and deeply. And to put it a little closer to us, to relate a little better, some of us have lost, some of us have said goodbye to people that we love very much. People that you've spent a lot of time with and you still feel the pain of their absence. Whether that be because of death, whether it be because parents getting divorced, whether it be estranged relationships. Either way, you have felt the heartache that we can imagine that the disciples felt at this teaching of Jesus. This is the feeling that the disciples had at the announcement that Jesus Christ would be leaving them. But we see, what's so strange, is that we see in the end of the book of Luke that at the ascension of Jesus Christ, the disciples worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem, Luke says, with great joy. Because they finally got it. They understood. They understood the benefit of him leaving. They understood why he had to leave. So with great joy, they returned to Jerusalem and were continually in the temple blessing God. So if I have any application for these verses that we went over today, it would be this. Trust the words of Christ. Trust that it is better that he has left and that we have the benefits that he has promised to us. Look forward to the time that he will return to, though. I will say that because that is a glorious time to look forward to. And go and be a witness to Evansville, Indiana. Go and be a witness to the United States of America and go and be a witness to the ends of the earth. We are not to be of this world, but we are also not called to be absent of the world. But in all things, in school systems, if you're in college, in college, in politics, in our culture, with our coworkers, with our patients, with our students, with our kids, with our spouses, with our other family members, we are called to point them to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and to be a witness to all around us what that looks like as we ourselves submit to Christ as our King. Let us, Redeemer Fellowship, be a church that is a witness to the Lordship and authority of Jesus Christ. Not as ones who do so pridefully, not as ones who do so arrogantly, but as ones who live as our Savior lived in all humility and love. You would pray with me.
Father, we